check, check. Check one on the mic. Hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Everybody, I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Thanks for joining live, those of you that are here, to talk comics today. We have some interesting new releases we'll be discussing here on Comic Book Herald Live. As always, I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Listen, I'm tired. I have a headache. I had to talk about Quantumania this weekend. Could be a rough mood. Could be <laughs> a little critical. But you know what? Some solid to good comics today. So maybe that will pick things up. Get in your thoughts. Get in your comments. Get in reasons for Dave to smile here in the chat. That's what I'm looking for today. Give me a reason to smile because it ain't the Bulls. It ain't the Bulls, right? It's got to be something else. Sorry, talking sports. Talking sports. I know that bugs some of you. Uh, no, just a little bit. Just a little bit. We got uh, it's a big spoiler in X-Men number 20 today. Okay? So spoilers will follow for the comics we're talking about. Comics we're talking about. Justin says, glad you've been enjoying Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I saw your updated Twitter name, which is Devil Dinosaur. There's a reason to smile. Moon Girl and Devil is so flipping good. It is my favorite Marvel thing in cross non-comics media in a while. Just the the joy I get watching how good that show is and getting to share it with my kids who already love Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur because guess what, Marvel? You have a giant red T-Rex as one of your characters. What are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? TV shows a great start, right? Where are the graphic novels? Where are the kids' books for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Guess what? They don't exist as of yet. They don't exist as of yet. Now, I, I, I suspect that will change. Here's a little Dave Sinead theory for you. There's going to be a slew of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur merchandise and, uh, and books for younger readers coming after the show because this show is ridiculously good. Oh man, the style, the tone, the humor, the heart. Listen, if you're, if you don't have kids, maybe not so much, right? It doesn't necessarily have the the cross, like just pure comics nerd appeal of say Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which was a very good, just animated series and kind of distillation of Avengers comics throughout the decades. Um, that said, it's really, really good. I don't just like, it's not just like, oh, I'm having a good time with kids. I genuinely enjoy the show. I think it's doing a great job on messaging, style, tone, comedy, etc. We could do all day on Moon Girl and Devil, and I'd be more than happy to do that. Listen, here's the craziest thing about Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, okay? Uh, season one, episode six, stars Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah, that one. He's a producer on the show. As the Beyonder. Okay, as the Beyonder, it does a version of Secret Wars 2. Secret Wars 2 is one, no, it's the worst Marvel event of all time. Let's not sugarcoat this. It is the worst Marvel Comics event of all time. Okay, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur does a Lawrence Fishburne Beyonder Secret Wars 2 riff that is really good. That's almost impossible. Nobody does that. Nobody can pull that off. Okay, Moon Girl and Devil does it. That's how good this show is. And listen, if you're questioning that Secret Wars 2 is the worst Marvel Comics event of all time, go go read it. You go do that. And in 13 weeks, when you finish the slog, 
And I'm counting the tie-ins. You have to read all the tie-ins. Don't skimp on this. You can't skimp on this and come back to me and say, no, no, Civil War II is worse. Civil War II is bad. I don't disagree, okay? But you you work your way through all of Secret Wars 2, and in 13 weeks to 13 years, whatever it takes for you to finish, you come back to me and you tell me an updated ranking. That's the thing. That's the thing about anyone questioning any of my rankings, any of my opinions, frankly, <laughs> is have you done the slog? Have you made yourself miserable trying to work your way through that event to the degree that I have? <laughs> so that you can say we are on exactly equal footing and here's why you're wrong i'm actually looking it up right now on my worst comics of all time which is not a thing i publish this is secret private spreadsheet secret wars 2 is 871st of the 876 comics i have ranked <laughs> in my life uh the only marvel books that are worse Actually, there's a few. 873, Dazzler the Movie. You can make a strong case Dazzler the Movie is actually better than Secret Wars 2. Uh, 874, Avengers number 200. I don't usually include single issues. Made a special case there. 876, Dead Last, and frankly, unbeatable, is Marvel. <laughs> that was Marvel. That was a... They, these are the joys of having a thriving comics enterprise is um, we have generous backers on patreon.com slash year for the My Marvelous Year podcast where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. Our patrons were kind enough to support a, uh, a horrible comics recommendation read that Zach and I then had to discuss, and that was Marvel. And Marvel is, in fact, the worst comic of all time. It is 876th out of 876 no matter how many comics i had listen you try i uh, try i i'm curious like try in the chat here today to name some comics that might be worse than marvel and if i haven't read them i will read them and i will i will deeply and truly consider <laughs> what you have brought to the table but i will be shocked shocked i say if anything can unseat marvel it's impossible impossible to do um, let's see. Jordan says, so what you're saying is we need to read Secret Wars 2 before watching Moon Girl. Oh my gosh, no. Please, Jordan, no. Don't, don't do this to yourself. Just enjoy the good animated show. I'm merely saying, for reference, they took a terrible thing and were able to make something very fun out of it, which includes a musical number by Lawrence Fishburne. Speaking of things that bring me joy and that are fantastic, the Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaurs soundtrack is one of the albums of the year. It is one of the albums of the year. Right now I've got Black Belt, Eagle Scout, um, um, the album Raven, I forget the artist's name, uh, and, uh, and Moon Girl and Devil. <laughs> Yola Tango, maybe like fourth or fifth, okay? That's where we're at. The show rules, the soundtrack rules. Super great. Thank you for bringing it up. Much appreciated. Timothy, listen, I don't want to fight with individual members of the chat, but you even expressing potential disagreement with me about moon girl and devil is going to send me into a spiral just gonna i'm gonna lose it i'm gonna turn into a, a standard youtuber here on the live stream and <laughs> just absolutely lose my mind no of course it's not gonna be for everyone i think it's fantastic i think it's truly truly wonderful i love it and i love watching it with my kids um let's see chris cueva coming in hot shouts to chris look at this every comic written by hickman is worse than marvel um listen that's cute that's real cute. That's a good dig. Are, you, are we? I thought we were. I thought we were trying to brighten my day. I thought we were trying. <laughs> I thought we were trying to make this a more enjoyable day. Not not get me angry. Is that what people want? 
Is that what y'all really want? Is that why the YouTube algorithm only supports the angry YouTuber stereotype? <laughs> Is that what we need? Because here's the thing, I can't do that. I am incapable of doing that. I am too too much of a mild-mannered reporter. Um, let's see. Uh, 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 the Moon Girl and Double Dinosaurs are good. Yeah. Yeah, they're good. They're real good. Okay. So get in your thoughts. Uh, things I want to see today. I want to th see things that will make me smile, um, things that will make me happy, or I want to see things that uh, uh, are worse than Marvel. <laughs> so far, we are a, a strong over one by listing um, one of the best, some of the best comics of all time uh, against Marvel. Big O for one, big miss. Uh, seeing from Justin here, happy fourth anniversary to the announcement of House of X. The announcement. Yeah, so that would have been March, C2E2, 2019, right? I was there. I was in the room. The room where it happens. The room where it happens. Y'all know that one. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. It was exciting. It was an exciting time. At the time, I was definitely still in the camp of like, oh, I bet Hickman's doing Eternals. I was zigging while everyone else was zagging. And uh, this was before, Dave Stoney did not really come into earnest until House and Powers were releasing. By that time, my gift of prophecy had developed in full. Prior to that point, I was just a regular person like all, like all of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was an exciting time. But yeah, I mean, it's been, it has been a long while, frankly, since these things came out. In some cases, it shows. In some cases, uh, things are still good. Since a Sinister, and we're going to talk about that today, it's an interesting event. I like what's happening in this alternate reality. Um, I still wish, I don't know, it, I'm, I'm a little bit less. Like, when it started, I was like, I wish Marvel had shut all of the X-Men comics down on the periphery and just released Sins of Sinister. And, I mean, that's still, if I had to pick, that's still probably my pick. But at the same time, I don't know that it's actually meaty and strong enough or, frankly, regular enough. You know, because it's a bit sporadic here. We didn't have any last week. We just have Nightcrawlers this week. Um, would that have felt substantial enough to, to you know, maybe they were right. Maybe they were right. I'm sure they were right sales-wise. And, like, it's kind of nice to have, like, if like if Nightcrawlers 2 didn't do it for you today, it's a really interesting X-Men issue. Uh, New Mutants Lethal Legion was a lot of fun, actually. And what else? What else? There's an X-23 book that I don't in any way understand. And I want to talk about that. Um, the question being, Why? Why is, why is that book happened? That was my question when it was announced. Why are we doing an X-23 flashback? And it's my question after reading it. Why did we do an X-23 flashback? I should not still be asking that question after the issue has been released. I feel like that's a problem. Uh, so anyway, let's see. Uh, JD says, I listened to your review of Quantumania and the MCU as a whole. I share your sentiments, but are you at least excited for Blade? Uh, so this is in reference to on My Marvelous Year, our episode this week. Uh, it was a great podcast. Y'all should like, subscribe, share, etc. Um, you can't. I, how do you like a podcast? I guess like physically, right? Like, what do you? Just, I guess you can favorite it. You can favorite that, right? You can rate it and review it on iTunes, and you can star it on Spotify. If that's where you listen. But check out my world here. It's it's the best thing I do. Um, but uh, it, yeah, we reviewed Quantumania this week, and uh, I really dislike Quantumania, like like way more than I expected. It is my fourth least favorite MCU movie. Of all time, uh, my least favorite in over a decade, I think, or at least a decade. Um, I had a bad time <laughs> with Quantumania, which is wild because I had, like, the perfect theater experience. Like, perfect. I had pizza. I had beer. I had um, candy. I had, like, th literally three other people in the theater. Like, perfect. That's everything I want. 
Uh, and then, then unfortunately, I had to watch Quantumania. Am I at least excited? And, and what we talked about in the episodes, we talked about Quantumania. We talked about why I didn't like it. Uh, we talked about the MCU as a whole and just kind of the the malaise. I, I refer to it, here comes sports analogy, it's a championship hangover. And it's a long one at this point. I think, no, nah, I won't get as specific. I was going to make a Warriors reference. No, we won't get that specific. Just, it's a championship hangover. Listen, Endgame was the title. You win the title. You go on the parade. It's hard to come back and win a championship again the next year, right? And now we're four years in. Four years post-championship hangover. Speaking of four years, right? We had House of X. We had Endgame. Similar time frame. Um, we're still in the championship hangover phase, right? It's been too long now, I think. It's been too long. Like, this thing, they need to bounce this puppy back. Um, and I, I'm less confident. For a long time, I had, I had from like 2000, what, 13? Thir- certainly 2014 through Endgame, I had no doubts. I had no lack of confidence in the MCU. Truly. It was like, basically like once Civil War came out especially, it was like questioning anything they do is just preposterous. They keep nailing it. They keep pulling it off. I don't know how they're doing it. Um, so with, I remember with Civil War, it was like, that's too many characters. How are you going to introduce Black Panther and, and I guess we didn't know about Spider-Man really until it came out or I didn't, um, you know, but it was like you're trying, you're trying to do too many things and then they did it effortlessly, seemingly, right? So it was like it was the, for the longest time it was a fool's game to question the MCU and post-Endgame it has increasingly like like that that Teflon has worn off big time, big time. So anyway, I'm replicating what I talked about in the podcast. You can go check it out in my world this year. Uh, am I at least excited for Blade? I mean, yeah, sure, right? Like, I'm excited. I'm still, I'm still excited about things in the MCU being good. I, I hope that they are. I'm not like, I'm not in MCU is dead, you know. Like, like I'm not going for those clicks. Um, I, I have nothing against the initiatives that they tried. There are certain things that I've really enjoyed in Phase Four, um, and I guess we're in Phase Five now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to them trying a blade. I'm curious what they're going to do with Daredevil. You know, any of my faves, right? I'm super nervous about X Men in the MCU. Obviously that's not going to be for a while. Um, the things that make me the most nervous about the MCU are the things that I love the most, right? So how are they going to do Dr. Doom? Are they finally, finally going to do a respectable Dr. Doom on screen? How about even a good one? Uh, and, and then X-Men, of course, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. I guess if I'm being honest, um, it just feels like too many things can and will go wrong. But that's negative. That's a negative outlook, right? I'm a Cubs fan, right? Like I'm, I'm pessimistic here. Uh, okay. What other questions we got right off the bat? I okay. So Chris says here, I, I didn't care for Quantum Mania, but it was slightly better than Love and Thunder. I did see a ton of folks um, using my Quantum Mania dislike to reiterate how much they hated Love and Thunder. <laughs> like people were shocked when I was like, "Yeah, Quantum Mania is worse than Love and Thunder." Um, but I think the the difference in thinking here is I was not especially bothered by Love and Thunder. I think it's a big step down from Ragnarok. I didn't love it. I think it's like, but I think it's like lower average of the MCU, you know? But there are gags that work for me. Um, There are certain elements that I liked. Uh, Not a ton, (laughs) but some things. Guantamania, the only things I liked were Kang uh, and the fact that they continue to pull from Hickman's Secret Wars. As, as the through line of where this thing is going. That's it. I didn't like any of the actual AMA components. All right. MCU Phase 4 is Reign of X. I'm seeing here in the comments. Yeah, that's a good comp. That's actually a really good comp. Um, it's big. It's big time, like, 
stalling and catching breath and kind of figuring things out about where things are going. Um, and you do have some gems that come out of that during that time, right? Reign of X has Hellions and Sword by Al Ewing, two really good series during that time. MCU Phase 4, it seems to vary greatly what folks consider the good stuff, but I really liked WandaVision more than most. Um, I thought Loki was very solid. I think a lot of folks consider that probably the best of the TV side of things. And then on the movie side, I mean, I don't know, you, you pick your poison. Spider-Man No Way Home was really good. Really good. I've got that in my top 10. I won't undersell that. But then like Wakanda Forever, solid movie. Shang-Chi, solid movie. Um, so yeah, it's it, that's a good comp. I like it. I like it. MCU Phase 4 is Reign of X. Uh, let's see. I'm seeing Amen 3 was far better than Love and Thunder. Mm, nah. Nah, 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 nah. It really wasn't. <laughs> but I also, I don't understand the the um, venom, venomous hatred that folks have for Love and Thunder. I was disappointed by it. I did not come away super disgruntled, whereas Ant-Man Quantumania, I actually did. <laughs> I was like weirdly bothered, which you don't usually get. Uh, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's get into the comics. Uh, again, spoilers follow for everything we're going to discuss today. Keep the uh, questions and, and thoughts and comments and all that fun stuff here. I am not be respectful to those around you. That's all I ask, of course, as well. Uh, oh, by the way, up on Comic Herald on the YouTube channel, the one you're watching right now, I have a video that I released this past week. It's the Road to Ultimate Invasion. It is uh, explaining how we got to this point, what's happened in the Ultimate Universe, the top 10 essential fast track curated list recommended reads that you should check out before Hickman and Brian Hitch do Ultimate Invasion this summer. And then, like, the last five minutes or so are theories about what it's going to be. And I'm not going to lie. Like, I came up with this theory as I was doing, <laughs> as I was explaining the road to, and I love it. I think I'm spot on. If they don't do what I think they might do, I'm going to be really disappointed because my idea is so good. <laughs> and I'm not usually that jazzed about my own theories. She was like, oh, they might do this, you know, but I'm not, like, super excited. This one I'm excited about. This would be great. So check out that video uh, on the channel if you want to see it. All right. Let's do this, puppy. Let's talk comics. Okay. First one, Sins of Sinister, Nightcrawlers number two. Um, what did we learn? What did we learn today? Nightcrawlers number one was basically, you know, it is Cy Spurrier doing a continuation of what he's done through Way of X and Legion of X now into the Sins of Sinister alternate reality. He gets to take on the Mother Righteous Sinister persona, who is, um, what, what is she? The Sinister of Hearts, maybe? Uh, but more importantly, you know, she is a Sinister variant clone who is uh, very much based on sort of religious and the spiritual realm and, um, you know, kind of stuff that we would consider like, like the realm of like Doctor Strange or, or Wanda, right? Scarlet Witch, that sort of thing. A little bit different than the other Sinisters in that regard, but she's working here in Nightcrawlers with a group of chimeras, so Sinister-created clones who combine multiple X-genes who have, through some aspect of Nightcrawlers' unique DNA, have broken free of Sinister's control, right? So that's what's happening in the Sins of Sinister here is Sinister DNA is basically getting into everyone and everything, it is infecting and creating a sort of sinister hive mind 
um, Earth-wide, and now they're expanding into the cosmos. And uh, and we have a small sect here that has broken free, and they're kind of the freedom fighters of of these you know former chimeras and then whatever the whatever Mother Righteous's schemes are. Yeah. So that's what's happening here. What's happening with all of the second issues of these three issue minis in the Sins of Sinister Alternate Reality is they're all going to jump 100 years into the future. So this is our first glimpse 100 years into the future of um, with, with Nightcrawlers here. And we get some really enjoyable, just strong, like world building, frankly, where the writers Spurrier, Ewing, Gillen, I think they're all kind of at their best in this event, just going bananas and doing the stuff you can't do in 616 primary uh, because, you know, you can't just kill Thanos with a little juggernaut, <laughs> you know? Uh, here we have, you know, the fall of Asgard and Thor's made to look a fool, right? You can't do all these things. Not that Asgard's never fallen, um, but you can't do these things to the degree that they're happening here as sort of the Marvel Universe and Cosmos and Cosmic scene is destroyed and falls. And like, not only that, but like we learn here that Earth is now uninhabitable because of a brood annihilus alliance, but it kind of happened basically after the sinisterized Krakoans had basically already moved off Earth. So it was a semi-dead planet to begin with, okay? So that bit of world building, you know, I think is consistently very enjoyable. You know, things like Sinister creating a Proteus Legion. Ah, oh, shoot, who's the other one? I forget the other one, but a, tr a trinity of, of mutant DNA spliced together for, like, universe destruction. Basically for the pun of it, for calling it the Airburst, because they're all famous heirs, Proteus being the heir of Moira, um, uh, Legion. Oh, maybe Polaris is in there, actually, because then you'd have the heir of Magneto, that sort of thing. Um, but that stuff's, like, it's just kind of one and done. You know, you get one panel of it, but it's really fun. It's not especially additive to the core narrative, necessarily. I mean, the core narrative of Sins of Sinister remains Mr. Sinister trying to get back to his Moira clones, his save points, because they were stolen from him. And this Sinister feels this age of Sinister, the Sins of Sinister alternate reality, has gotten away from him. He doesn't actually like the initiative that all his clones are taking, you know, they've kind of got him on a, literally on a leash in the case of like Emma in Immortal X-Men. Uh, so he wants to get back to those clones and reset things. Then you have Destiny and Mystique as sort of freedom fighters, uh, except they're not actually freedom fighters because Destiny doesn't want Sinister to reset the timeline because then it will reset it to a timeline where Mystique does eventually die. So Destiny is in is in league here with um, Orbis Stellaris, one of the Sinister clones, trying to achieve dominion and basically then live forever with Mystique, whatever that means here, right, in terms of how that manifests. So we have those, that's like the core narrative, I would consider. Uh, everything in Nightcrawlers feels definitely secondary. Uh, it's very much the odd player out of the three. You know, it's your Chris Bosch to your LeBron and Wade. Um, but it's, it's solid. It's enjoyable. I definitely have enjoyed the first two issues of Nightcrawlers more than I really have enjoyed anything in Legion of X. Uh, I mean, I still think, like, Spurrier is writing so hard. <laughs> like, like really just not holding back at all. I think some moments it works. I think oftentimes it's like, I don't know, like, like a $10 word 
sometimes isn't the choice, you know, not just because it's difficult, <laughs> right? And he's making me think, but it's just the pacing of the book often just feels very sluggish, you know, and it's not that high minded stuff. <laughs> like, like this isn't a particularly literary thing. This is an Alan Moore swamp thing here, you know, or heaven forbid something non-superhero. And it's just like the writing just feels like it's at odds a lot of times with like, hey, this is a cool book where uh, we have a banshee ghost writer who just witnessed the destruction of Asgard, you know, and I think that stuff just sort of the just let it rip, you know, uh, motivations and sort of instincts are off a lot of times. That said, Spurrier's working hard here to get an emotional character driven center in three issues of, of an alternate reality that is based on Mr. Sinister taking over the world. And like, that's super hard to do. And it is reasonably effective. It is reasonably effective. I am the most interested by far in the central Wagnerine, you know, this, this Chimera clone of Nightcrawler and Wolverine. You know, I don't know Mother Righteous a lot better through two issues. I feel like that's a bit of a hole, but I know these Nightcrawlers better and they are interesting characters that I'm interested in hanging out with. I mean, it's, it definitely, Nightcrawlers has this weird thing right now where it feels like a tie-in to a main event that Ewing and Gillen are writing, except it's one of the three. <laughs> so it's the only one, you know, it's definitely the odd player out. Um, but, but that's not like diminishing any effectiveness, which I think, again, is solid. It's not like it doesn't belong in this space. You know, it's not like it doesn't belong. Um, where's this going? I'll be really curious if the third issue of Nightcrawlers, like, like how relevant is it going to be? You know, how relevant is it going to be to the main plot? You know, the thousand year jump into the future. I'm so mother righteous here. I was, you know, said we don't really know that much about her. And I think that's true. Uh, but the one thing that the Nightcrawlers do seem to be doing with Mother Righteous is over the course of this hundred years, they've been gathering relics. They've been gathering Marvel artifacts and they are attempting to build, what are they calling it? It's not a siege perilous. Now it's a, a what, a reliquary perilous? However the heck you say that. Had to look that puppy up. That's, that is a, <laughs> the definition is a space for relics, which is not super helpful, but basically it's a shrine you know, in keeping with the sort of spiritual nature of Mother Righteous. Um, it's, it's so a shrine perilous of sorts, whatever the heck that means. I mean, the siege perilous in X-Men history allows you to walk, like the X-Men use it at one point in the Australian Outback era. They walk through it and it, it spares their lives and it sort of reality warps things to create a situation where they, they have their lives and they have new lives and they kind of don't remember who they were. Okay, so the Siege Perilous has been used in various forms to sort of create some sort of reality-warping transformation. Um, presumably, the Reliquary Perilous would do a similar thing, and, and my guess would be like, okay, that's a possible out to get out of the, the Age of Sinister. You know, so it's a, it's a Marvel artifact way to say, how do we reset this timetable? Um, we've seen the Nightcrawlers that's referencing stealing Emkron crystals, which are reality-warping devices, they're stealing, um, they have a Mjolnir, I think. Uh, there's some other stuff mixed in. I didn't jot it down. But, you know, they're trying to get the biggest and the baddest 
of relics in the Marvel Universe in order to concoct this plan. And what we get here is Mother Righteous has this. She's created a whole religion where her Nightcrawlers, you know, are in support of this. And then because of some of her decisions here, including disappearing a baby, generally generally uh, has negative side effects. And here, <laughs> one of those is, uh, is the mom who is, you know, not happy about that. And so now you're going to have some dissonance and disconnect between the faithful and their messiah. Um, again, there's only one more issue. So it's like, how much can you do? How much can you really do, you know, with that? And I mean, again, one of the things that I think is the best and is going to be the greatest strength of Sins of Sinister is it is hitting hard and it is moving super fast. The downside to that is, of course, we have very limited space to lean into character development. And so far, it does seem like Spurrier has the hardest road to hoe in that regard because Chimeras and these Nightcrawlers are, for all intents and purposes, new characters, you know? Uh, they are not specific, like they are versions of characters we've seen before, but all meshed up. So it's kind of trying to build new characters from the ground up and establish emotional tethers to them. Again, an incredibly small space. You know, Gillen has the benefit of working with Sinister, the main player of this. Ewing had the benefit of working with, with Storm, and now, you know, Destiny Mystique probably to a little bit, to, to some degree. Um, Spurrier doesn't necessarily have that, you know? Uh, so I do think it's probably the most challenging of the three books. It is not uninteresting. Again, I think when everything is said and done, and all these issues have been released, and you have a nice, thick, Sins of Sinister hardcover, I think it's going to read really well. I really do. Uh, so I'll pause there, check out some questions, get in some thoughts here on what's going on in Sins of Sinister and Nightcrawler. I mean, I guess broadly too, like, are you all still hooked on this event? Is the weekly grind of it, like, have you lost some interest? Because we're kind of in, we're probably in like the lowest ebb phase, you know, of, of this event, right? Where you had nothing last week. We have sort of a periphery issue this week. And then next week, we'll get back to Immortal X-Men too. So I would think like over the last two to three weeks is kind of the the least, you know, into it I've been, but it's that's kind of just by design and when these comics come out. So, all right, I'm gonna take a big swig from our sponsor today. Our sponsor today is uh, Locally Sourced Water. Uh, I highly recommend some locally sourced water if you can get it. Uh, but get in your questions, why take a swig of that? <laughs> seen here i know you're a bulls fan but no chris bosh slander is allowed i don't think calling chris bosh the number three to lebron and wade is slander <laughs> i don't think i'm on a limb in that regard uh okay we see uh what wtf happened in lethal legion we'll talk about that we'll get to that um do you think main writers like ewing and gillen will stay on the main books after fall of x i do yeah, I do, because they've said that they plan to. So that is that is all based in either Kieran Gillen telling me that specifically, <laughs> humble brag, or uh, Al Ewing sings as much in his newsletter. Uh, Marcos asks, hey Dave, since it's been established that Resurrection could fix Kurt's beast mutation, we got to call it something else, because otherwise it sounds like he's turning into beast. How about monster mutation? Let's go with that. Do you think we're going to see him and Storm teaming up to stop Sinister's as Dominion comes. Uh, hmm. It, not so much on the latter, because the status of 
of both Kurt and Storm seems a little dicey as we get into the thousand-year future. I So at the end of this, for some reason, the Nightcrawlers and Mother Righteous, they go back to Earth, and they find the original Nightcrawler, uh, who has, you know, mutated basically into a big, kind of dumb, demonish beast. And they find this original Nightcrawler and seem to have some plans for the OG. Uh, I would like to see Kurt restored and have a role in year 1000. I'm not really sure... I'm not really sure, like, what the end game is of of the monsterification of my favorite X-Man, Kurt Wagner. You know, I mean, as much as I like, it's definitely a knock, I think. I mean, it's definitely a criticism I have of the Spurrier X work is, like, Nightcrawler's my favorite character, and I don't especially like anything that's happened with him in, like, three, two years, two and a half years. <laughs> You know, since like early way of X, you know, like it's been a while since we had good Nightcrawler stories and Nightcrawler is ostensibly the head of this book, you know, and I think that's a bummer. So, yeah, I would really like to see a restored Nightcrawler playing a role in year 1000 and some sort of build to that. That would be nice. That would be nice. Um, all right. What are the comments do we have? Do, do, do. Thoughts on Wolverine and Cyclops canonically having a child. <laughs> even if it's just for this amount. You know what? I didn't even connect those dots. But yeah, so Wagnerine, the baby she has is via a Cyclops Nightcrawler Chimera. So that does make it a Wolverine and Cyclops child. A finally. A finally. Uh, thoughts? Yeah, great. <laughs> That's fun. That's a fun catch. I, I didn't even notice that. Let's see. What else do we got? Um, Ben says, I hope they give Sinister the AOA treatment where writers can dip in and tell stories. It's a rad universe that deserves a closer look. Yeah, maybe down the road. Maybe down the road. I don't think you're going to need that in the short term. You know what, what would actually be a good space for that would be the Marvel Unlimited X-Men stuff, the X-Men Infinity comics. You know, you could easily revisit the Sins of Sinister era with a short story arc there and have it not feel like a, a massive detour after the event is done. That could be cool. I'm here for that. Let's see. Bosch carried the Raptors for 10 years. Put some respect on his name. <laughs> no one said it. <laughs> no one said Chris Bosch was bad. He was number three. The third banana to LeBron James and Dwayne Wade on the Miami Heat. This is inarguable. Get out of here. Let's see. What else do we got? Um, <laughs> any idea how Storm will survive a thousand years slash get resurrected? No, but I bet Al Ewing has an idea. And that's all that matters. Senor Fluffytail says, I feel like we're playing catch-up after every time jump. We spend our already limited time finding out what's even going on. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is kind of the nature of these massive time jumps. I like that, frankly. Um, I, I really like the fast pace of it. I love the fact that there's these, you know, six pages at the front that are just this experience of being like, okay, what, what has happened in 100 years? You know, and trying to catch us up on as much relevant detail as, as basically humanly possible while simultaneously telling a story. I think that's really fun. Um, I think the best experience in kind of learning about alternate realities is you are thrown into the middle of the fire. Uh, and then you are you are playing catch up. But it's like the learning and the mystery and the suspense of finding out what happens is part of the thrill. I think if you have everything spelled out, it's actually less interesting. Uh, so personally, I enjoy that frankly. Uh, I, I've got no problems there. Um, 
Let's see, let's see, let's see. Jordan points out, what about that Nightcrawler spotlight issue in Immortal X-Men? That one was great. Uh, yeah, that was better. That was better, you're right. I may have overstated it saying there's been no good Nightcrawler comics. I'm talking specifically about like the back half of Way of X and Legion of X. But that is a good call out. Uh, that the Immortal, I mean, does not miss. I mean, what what would you say is the is there a bad Immortal X Men issue? Definitely not. Uh, but is there even? I I think the one that was the least effective for the central character was the Kitty Pride one because that was a sin that was a sins of sinister build up issue that was all about Mister Sinister killing the Quiet Council and it was through Kitty's POV, but she definitely got the short end of the stick on character work and character building. That said, if you have to do that with one character, like Kate Pride <laughs> has starred in Marauders this entire era, is the the sort of gateway, entryway character throughout much of the Claremont and Byrne run, like like is 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 similar to the Astonishing X-Men run by Guidon and Cassidy. Kitty's had at bats. Kitty's gotten shots, right? So if you need to take away some shots... I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. All right. If there are any final thoughts here on the Sins of Sinister Nightcrawlers, get them in now. I will try to address them in the comments. Uh, but otherwise, let's move on to the rest of what happened today. Uh, first, you know, I kind of threw this out at the, the beginning. But, like, listen, is the, it, can anybody out there tell me who X-23 Deadly Genesis is for? Why is there a five-issue mini that insists on reliving Laura Kinney, a.k.a. Wolverine's X-23 days. Why does this exist? Anyone, any any argument. Who, who will step up to defend this wayward comic? Show yourself. It's fine if no one has an answer because I definitely don't. I definitely don't. Instead, let's talk about X-Men number 20. Um, okay, X-Men number 20 was, was solid. I think Duggan's X-Men has been pretty good lately. Uh, what was weird about it, and maybe this will get kind of explained away there's a real genocidal attitude from the x-men <laughs> to the brood today that feels off it feels off now listen i've got nothing against the x-men having hostile feelings towards the brood right they have not had good experiences the brood are a nasty bunch they're sleazoids but with the x-men's mission you know and also with Krakoan mandate of like breaking the rules and changing the game, and with Bruce's kingdom of a sentient species, it's just really weird to see Cyclops have a quote leading into an issue where he's like, ah, genocide, it's the only way. Kind of a beastish turn. A beastly turn, if you will. Didn't love that. Didn't love that look. Curious where it's going. Uh, hey, how about <laughs> Jerry Duggan connecting... The seeming one-off X-Men number four Nightmare appearance and having that come full circle with Nightmare as the cause of Brew's loss of control of the Brood. Did not see that one coming. That's a nice Marvel Universe callback and a callback to earlier in the run. I mean, if you had asked me, hey, who are the characters that you expect to come back from this run? You know, Nightmare would not have been in the top 10 probably. Definitely did not <laughs> did not think of that. Uh, so that was interesting. I don't know. I, I'm I, there aren't a lot of good nightmare stories. I will say, like nightmare is a very one trick pony. You know, once you get out of the origin in the first appearance in those you know Silver Age Doctor Strange, how many nightmare stories are we really excited about? You know, it kind of just becomes this trope 
for a dream dimension experience gone wrong. So I don't especially care about the character, uh, but it was introduced. He had a role and now he's back. I don't mind that. I mean, I think if Duggan's going to do a thing where it's like, hey, remember all that, you know, sort of supervillain of the week stuff I was doing? Yeah, they're all going to come back and they all have grudges, right? Because that's going to mean Modoc, who we know is a part of Orcus, who's like for sure going to come back, but it means get the high evolutionary. You know, it's going to mean all those weird Cordyceps Jones aliens things on that game world. You got some interesting players and things like that. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. That would be, that would be a nice bow on this run. Now, the best thing that X-Men number 20 does is not what I thought it was going to be. Because I thought we'd get more of a continuation of Forge and Monet trapped on a celestial head in an alternate reality doing multiverse stuff. That didn't really happen at all. So I hope we get more of that in the near future. The best thing actually was a total out of nowhere turn. A surprise mutant entered Krakoa. It's Typhoid Mary. I'd completely forgotten she was a mutant <laughs> at all. Because she's always in Daredevil stories. Hardly ever in X-Men stuff, right? And then Big Willie, right? Turn up the Willennium. Wilson Fisk, the kingpin enters looking good and he says i'm here to claim for cohen citizens citizenship through my wife is that how it works on krakoa i guess we'll find out but the kingpin trying to claim amnesty on krakoa because his wife is a mutant did not under any circumstances see this coming now you could point out well that's because the comic had nothing to do with that and it was a genuinely out of left field twist <laughs> right which is maybe a valid criticism but it was really fun I was surprised and delighted, and uh, and I did not see that coming. It also connects pretty nicely to Duggan's X-Men Dark Reign issues, where he did some really nice flashback stuff between the Kingpin and Emma Frost, and, and, and them having some history. So it sets the stage to kind of pursue and follow up on some of that in the modern day. I think Duggan, you know, the thing that I think he does the best is your meat and potatoes making full use of the Marvel Universe. I think that's a really good thing. That's a skill set. You know, certain writers are great at that. Like Al Ewing is legendary at that. Duggan is good at that. And uh, I think, you know, pulling in mainstays, your Typhoid Mary, Kingpin, playing with Nightmare, playing with Marvel history, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, so I'm here for it. I, I really enjoyed that twist. Again, I hope we get back to what was actually the most interesting part of the last couple issues, which was hey, Forge and Monet are trapped on a celestial head and they might be in the multiverse. Um, but in the meantime, dug this issue. Dug this issue. All right, getting your thoughts. I'm gonna take another sip of water and then we will address your questions. Will we see Big Blue Daddy as a deus a machina? Love it. Love the pun, Jeff. Talking about apocalypse here. Um, presumably you mean in Sins of Sinister. I think the answer is gonna be no because I think Ewing has plans for Apocalypse and the Apocalypse family in X-Men Red uh, proper when we get back. That's my guess. Marcos asks, how do you think Forge's retrieval of Nowhere's Head will play out in the status of Krakoa? Could it be just a one-and-done thing? It would It would be a big bummer if it was a one-and-done thing. I hope that it's going to be in the creation of a multiversal X-Men hopping team. I don't know why you wouldn't do that. Again, we've had the stage set for that with Professor X telling Logan in a hot tub, like, hey, we should save mutants everywhere, including the multiverse. Uh, I hope that's what it's setting the stage for. Is it 
actually going to do that. We'll see. I mean, I've been I've been on that train for a while. Let's see. Pepto Bismol says we've got a brand sponsor here by Pepto. For those of you who had too big a burrito for lunch today, myself included, I wish the big Hickman ideas weren't just being handed to the big fun team book, but I think it's still working well. Um, presumably by the big fun team book, you're describing X Men. And I guess the question there I would have is like, which Hickman ideas are being handed to X Men? Because I actually think generally they're not being picked up there. You know, I mean, I think the big Hickman ideas that are being picked up are, for example, what Gillen and Ewing are doing in Sins of Sinister. Um, less so other places. Let's see. Uh, Marco says, that quote from Scott sounded off. I wish they would address the fact that he kept a piece of the void inside his mind since the days of Utopia. <laughs> I doubt that continuity will come up again. Uh, but, I mean, I my thought as it progressed was like, okay, are we going to do something with Nightmare here? Right? Like, is Nightmare the one making everyone... Because it's not just Scott, right? Scott has the quote. But then Bobby, when they're battling the brood, says the, basically the same thing. And he's like, yeah, we just need to wipe them all out. I don't know. It's just like... like a few degrees too harsh for for this team specifically in kind of the state of things. Thank you, Base God says Dave. Talk about the Hawaiian shirt. Talking about Kingpin's big Willie style Hawkeye Hawaiian shirt, which I think when we, that was a design that debuted in the graphic novel. It's written by Mark Wade, and I think it's called Spider Man Family Business. And of course, Gabrielle Gabrielle Del Otto, I want to say, is the artist. Credit where it's due. Hopefully I didn't totally get that wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, Willie looks good in a Hawaiian shirt. Six foot seven, 400 pounds. We'll get some deets on Big Willie's fit. Um, this should be fun. Typhoid Mary and Kingpin. Like, it would actually be very cool <laughs> if Kingpin does get amnesty and stays on Krakoa for a minute because we have a lot of mutants who are playing their own games, you know, Um Emma Frost, Sebastian Shaw, Mr. Sinister all come to mind. I mean, even Professor X and Moira, right? Most mutants on the Quiet Council are kind of playing their own games. It would be interesting to have a genuine human villain <laughs> as part of the island who has, like, none of, like, in no way does he have Krakoa in best interests in any way in mind. And how would that play out? I, I don't think we've really had anything comparable to that i mean fenris i guess but i don't know that they've ever they're certainly not on krakoa anymore you know so is it any i mean it seemed like shadow king was maybe amal farouk was maybe going that route but then not really omega red you know kind of kind of has fallen in line right so it's like basically every mutant even if they're scheming elsewhere and they're doing other things they all kind of have some at least potential vested interest in krakoa kingpin would not have that so it would be an interesting, interesting situation. Uh, okay, let's see. Any final questions? Do, do, do. Oh, okay, yeah. So Pepto-Bismol calls out. Thank you so much for your brand sponsorship here. Um, the last Nightcrawler thought, they mentioned taking over parallel realities. This was in the Nightcrawler's issue today. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That was actually really big, and it was very subtle, and it was just like totally just a throwaway line. But they mentioned conquering, you know, uh, galactic races like the Shi'ar, but then also conquering some parallel realities? That's huge. <laughs> That's a big deal. That would suggest that X-Men 20 and what Forge and Monet are doing is going to play a decent-sized role in the future of X-Men stories, right? And all this multiversal stuff that I've been on forever. Uh, yeah, great call. 
there, there's some foreshadowing there, I think, for some exciting stuff that could potentially come. Could nowhere be a new home for mutants once they get kicked off Earth? I don't see why not. I don't see why not. I mean, that's an interesting Fall of X follow-up, right? So Fall of X, Krakoa Falls, Orcus, at, at least makes Earth uninhabitable for the X-Men and, and mutant kind. They then go to Forge and Monet's established nowhere base and become mutants of the multiverse. And uh, and the Krakoan Empire then extends beyond the multiverse. That could be a really interesting new phase and would, would change the game and create new story in a way that I think would be very exciting. Into it. Into it. You're right. Good call, James. Let's do that. Let's do it. Send Marvel a letter. Okay to print. <laughs> they love it when you send them ideas, trust me. Let's see, what else? Warren says, if Sabretooth was sent to the pit, Mary is a candidate. But we all know Kingpin is just here to take over Blob's bar. <laughs> oh, give me a rival bar. Yes. Yes, Kingpin running a rival bar to the Green Lagoon would be the absolute best case scenario. Uh, I do not see Typhoid Mary getting sent to the pit. Uh, I'd be surprised by that. You know, I think the things that, basically, I think all mutants get amnesty, essentially, for things that they had done uh, you know, pre-Krakoa and all that. Um, although, certainly that's not going to stop her from doing it again, potentially. What else? What else? Isn't Fenris currently attacking Krakoa in Marvel Unlimited? Probably. I mean, they usually are. They're the worst. I mean, just just the absolute worst. Do, do, do. Okay. Okay. I think we did it. All right. Oh, no, we got another comic. New Mutants Lethal Legion. It's a really fun first issue. Charlie Jane Anders writes a nice New Mutants book. I like that we have actual, literal New Mutants to get to know here. I know they were, they've been throughout this previous New Mutants run. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's a heck of a lot more to say about it. Really good queer representation throughout this comic. It has a really fun, healthy dose of skepticism and attitude towards Count Nefaria, <laughs> which I really appreciate. Uh, that was good. The the wanted poster or the the Lethal Legion, you know, please join me poster about Count Nefaria kind of rules. Uh, this is a this is a fun setup for a miniseries that I think a lot of people are going to sleep on because it's not starring like any familiar mutants, right? Like the most familiar mutant who gets screen time here is Wolfsbane, and you know, like Wolfsbane generally doesn't have a solo series, generally speaking. Uh, but this this was a good first issue. It's definitely you know, it's going to skew younger audiences. You definitely have a younger a younger cast of characters. I do really like the new mutants that we know, the original new mutants, more in a mentorship role towards, again, genuinely young new mutants. I think that is a thing that has been lacking, has been missing in the Krakoa era, is like, who are the who are the leaders of the actual teenagers and kids? You know, because everyone else is adults playing their big adult mutant games, <laughs> right? But what are the actual kids doing? Uh, I think this book can potentially tap into that as well. I You know, I think in a lot of ways, this first issue felt like a better... Children of the Atom, you know, where, where that book really had some missteps and never quite found its footing for me. I think this one, it was like, it was much more solid out of the gate. Um, I'm looking forward to the second issue. You know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, best comic of the year, right? I don't overstate things, but it, it was better than I expected. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed. All right. Getting your final thoughts. I've got two minutes to spare. Jeff asks, wouldn't it be awesome if Kingpin and Typhoid Mary supplanted Shaw and Frost in a limited series that was Krakoan Shits Creek? 
Okay. I like everything that's happening here. Uh, supplanted Shaw and Frost. How? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, like in the Hellfire Club? But then how is that Shit's Creek? Mildly confused. Um, I'm I'm picturing Kingpin and Mary and let's go Scott and Emma trapped in uh, an alternate reality where they are sharing a hotel, right? If we want to go true Shit's Creek vibes. We're going to need some children involved, though, too. Neither of these couples have kids, at least yet. But if it's an alternate reality, I guess why not? Maybe we can introduce some. Um, I, I, Jeff, I like where your head's at. I'm not totally sure what you mean. Uh, I've seen this coming a couple times now, and I guess I'll just read it. Uh, Zeppel's Amazing Spidey ripped off Berserk today, apparently. Uh, okay, sure. <laughs> I believe you. Um, I, I haven't read the most recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I may never. Again, after Dark Web, uh, I've read the first four volumes of Berserk, so I have mild familiarity there. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say Berserk is better than the Zebwell's Amazing Spider-Man. I'm going to put that one on, on record, on tape. I think, we can, I think we can settle on that right now. Okay, I have not really seen any suggestions for comics that are worse than Marvel, so I think we can pretty safely accept that that is the worst comic of all time. Thank you all for your help. Um, limited things here of, of things that should make me smile, so I mean, I do have to hold you all accountable for that as well. But, you know, I do appreciate you being here. <laughs> so, thanks everybody for joining. This has been fun. I'll be back any week. The comics are good, which, by the way, next week we have a moral X-Men number two. So there will be a live stream talking about that. Thanks for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics. <laughs>